It's show 124 of the RIM Pro Report. This week, the one, the only, Carrie McGovern and the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. What I know is that the staff at O'Neill are committed to your success. I've met a lot of them over the years. Salespeople, management team, technical support staff, customer service, the R&D team. They're all working to support your RIM service business with great software to make your business better. And you can learn more about them by getting on the old interwebs and heading over to O'Neillsoft.com. Cozy up to the hearth. It's a showtime. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Hustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, me, and it looks like winter has hit many with a wicked blast of Arctic cold. In my conversations with many this week, it seems like the long johns are on and the furnaces are blazing. Blame it on Canada, they say. If you are in the wind or in the wind chill zone, stay warm. If you are in warmth where you live, blow some hot air north if you would. Either way, I hope you are starting 2013 off on a positive note. Hey, if you've missed the last couple of shows, check them out. Last week, Nate Campbell, CEO of Access and Prism International President this year was aboard. Then the week before, HIPAA man Tom Dumez hunkered down with us to get caught up on all the latest compliance issues. So be sure to listen to either of those if you missed them. Speaking of positive notes, I had an email interaction uh, with Kerry McGovern a little while ago, and we conversed about the acquisitions that were happening. He mentioned he was doing some more in-depth research about it all, so I asked if he would join me on the show today to discuss it all. If you're new to the industry and don't know Kerry, he's been a startup consultant and sales trainer in the industry for a whole long time. The file man, Kerry, has a tremendous influence and has had a tremendous influence in the industry. He's officially moved into retirement, but he's still not out of the industry. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he's been researching in the last few months related to all these acquisitions that are happening. But before we chat with him, let's get caught up on the latest industry news. Looks like Cornerstone Records Management has just announced another acquisition, this time American Corporate Records Center of Melville, New York. American Corporate Records was a hard copy storage facility serving the Metro New York marketplace. So congratulations to Cornerstone on this, their 27th overall acquisition. Uh, the U.S. Health Department, uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announced changes January 17th designed to strengthen the privacy and security protections for health information established under HIPAA. According to HHS, the final omnibus rule enhances a patient's privacy protections, provides individuals new rights to their health information, and strengthens the agency's ability to enforce the law. This final rule is effective March 26 this year. Covered entities and business associates must comply with the applicable requirements of this final rule by September 23rd of 2013. Now, our good friend Tom Dumez delivered his summary report on the recent modification and changes to HIPAA, especially how they affect you. You can download his summary at his website, thehippaman.com. 
The German company Arenas Office Systems has acquired the mobile shredding company DocuCare based in the Netherlands. DocuCare shredding trucks will complement Arenas' existing stationary file and data storage media destruction services in the Netherlands. In total, Arenas Office Systems operates 23 document shredding sites in Europe and provides services for more than 15,000 customers across the continent. So the acquisitions are not just in the U.S. and in the U.K. They're happening all over the place. Finally, I wanted to correct an error I made on last week's show. I said that K2 Partners had aggregate deal value of $400,000. What I meant to say was that number was $400 million. My apologies. Those numbers are very different. So congratulations to K2 Partners on doing that kind of deal flow in the last number of years. Well, that's all for now. If you have news from your neck of the woods, I'd love to hear from you. So hang tight while I get Fileman on the line. There is no need for a formal introduction, so let's just welcome the one and only Fileman, Kerry McGovern. Kerry, are you there? I am, Tom. Thanks for calling. Hey, welcome back to the RimPro Report. We've had you on before, but it's great to have you back. But uh, I, I think initially I want to check in with you. Uh, you are no no longer sort of actively participating in the industry. I know you're secretly participating in it in terms of you're actively involved in watching and observing and posting and all those kind of things. But uh, you're officially in retirement mode. So how is this old retirement thing working for you? Tell me a little bit about what's going on with you personally. Well, yeah, I've been um, yeah, threatening to retire for three or four years now. And most of my friends in the industry say, Carrie, you're never going to retire, but actually have made a lot of headway this year. Oh, and, good. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm down to two clients, and those are relatively easy to deal with, and it's mostly over the phone and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I feel good about what I'm doing. Uh, this past year has been the transition year. Right. And... Um, I've been spending a lot of time with family. We had uh, the opportunity to do two uh, full family gatherings, one at the 4th of July and one at um, Thanksgiving in uh, California at my son's beach house. Oh, that's uh, nice. It's absolutely fantastic. And by the way, that that beach house is my uh, second home. I'm set up there to observe the Pacific and make sure that we don't get inundated by a tsunami. And also to... Uh, well, that sounds depressing. That, that sounds <laughs> really depressing. No, it's not, because uh, the house is on the Strand, and you get to watch all the good-looking people walk by. Wow, so, very cool. Anyway, but the other thing, uh, this may sound strange. It sounds strange to most of my friends, but when I got my master's degree about 25 years ago, I learned how much I liked research. Mm. So I spent a lot of time researching, and I like records management, records and information management. Obviously, I spent my life in it, so I've done a lot of research in the time that I have, you know, just to keep up with things and also to, um, to have an opinion about what's going on. Not that anybody cares, but I do have opinions about everything. Yeah. And also, I'm, I'm studying. I'm, I'm taking courses. Wow. And, uh, yeah. 
so uh, I'm more edified than I used to be. And so um, the other thing is I love the movies, and uh, uh, my wife and I see most of the movies that come out, and we have opinions about who's good and who's bad. <laughs> but New Orleans has become really a hotbed for movie production. So uh, I, you know, I get involved as much as I can. I, my plan for this year is to be an extra and do some small speaking parts in some of these New Orleans productions. And I'm also writing a screenplay. Now, I've told people that for years, but I actually am. Wow, very cool. Yeah, that's great. I'd tell you what it is, but I'd have to kill you. Right. All right, well, let's not go there. (laughs) So let's get right into something that I wanted to talk to you about and get your feedback on. As someone who spent a lot of years in the industry and watched it transform itself over the years, I wanted to spend some time chatting with you about the recent trend of these intense acquisitions and maybe start with your perspective on what's actually happening right now. So give me a sense of what you think's happening, what you're watching, what you're observing, and, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, it, I find it interesting too, Tom. Uh, intense is a great word to use because I have never seen anything quite like this in the 37 years that I've been involved in the industry. A lot of people think that it's the same old, same old, you know, people buying businesses and growing. Right. Uh, but it's really not. It, this is the first time that private equity has been heavily involved with our industry. And uh, there are um, – the private equity piece seems to be uh, really transforming the industry. Now – uh, I can remember as much as 10 years ago, there was hardly a month that would go by that I wouldn't get one or two or three phone calls from a private equity company saying, I don't know anything about commercial records management. Can you tell me about it? So I'd spend an hour or two with them on the phone, mm-hmm. and they, they would uh, – I, I kept wondering, why is it that they're so interested in our industry? Well, you know, when you look at what private equity is, it makes a lot of sense for them. Um, There are uh, several different types of players out there now in the uh, acquisition side. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first, uh, let's call the first aggregators. Okay. And, you know, this word has been bandied about in the industry for for a while. And the aggregators are those uh, that have a base of business already and are on the hunt for new markets. Now, obviously, these markets are ones that will add, um, you know, value to them in terms of geographic as well as in customer base. Um, Even though they have typically the five primary lines of business, uh, destruction, uh, storage, imaging, uh, digital media, and consulting. Those are the typical five mm-hmm. REM service lines. They, they're pretty much centered around storage and destruction. And when you see the buys, they're buying storage and destruction businesses. Very seldom do you see an imaging company get bought or some sort of uh, data media vault. They, those are off to the side. As far as consulting is concerned, you know, everybody does it either directly or has an indirect uh, relationship with right. a consulting business. 
Right. But that but what that's what we're seeing is we're seeing the aggregators going out and sort of picking off other centers to to maximize their profile, to maximize their uh, location coverage or, or whatever that may mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's correct. And okay, so uh, we see a lot of activity, and it doesn't seem to be any uh, maximum number of businesses that people will go after. Uh, even now, we're seeing some of the smaller record centers getting bought. I saw one last week for twenty thousand boxes, and um, I think this week there's been two or three. Uh, that I've just seen the announcements going through uh, my resources on the Internet. Yeah. So, uh, you know, access information management, who we all know and love, and frankly, you know, they have been one of my customers, and they seem to be about the biggest aggregator right now. Uh, they're throughout North America, and they've just recently announced a merger with Retrievex. Now, this has been called a merger rather than an acquisition and I guess it is because Retrievex was Retrievex was a significant size organization with a number of different locations and of course it was uh, headed and um, run by Peter Pierce who's a longtime player in our industry mm-hmm. um, so they received a major shot of growth capital uh, growth equity from Summit Partners now that's all over the internet. Nothing here that we'll talk about is private. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's out there. And Summit Partners is uh, they they call themselves a growth equity for exceptional companies, and basically they're a provider of capital. And when they do, they basically take control of the company. So even though uh, we still have the same management in place. The advisory board, since it's not a public company, is certainly strongly influenced by the private equity company. Right. Other aggregators include Cornerstone Records Management. I did some research yesterday before this phone call, and uh, they're uh, primarily backed by Sterling Partners. Again, another private equity private group. Equity. Yeah. And so, you know, we have... Uh, and there's others involved uh, with each of these as well. Now, interesting, um, uh, the company, I guess, that's been in the business for a very long time and had a stable base, GRM Document Management out of uh, New York, New Jersey area, now has 11 locations in the United States and three in China. Hmm. Hmm, what's that about? Well, uh, you know, these folks have been rather silent in the industry for years. Uh, most people know who they are and how they act, but they, uh, they're they buying additional record centers as well. Right. Now, who they're backing is is a little unclear, but, you know, I'm sure there's, since they're centered in New York, uh, and they're a private company, so it's hard to tell exactly, you know, who's putting up the, uh, the funding, but the ownership certainly has a lot of capital, and the cash flow that they generate is certainly providing a lot of capital. Um, And other people who are less active buyers are uh, 220 Records Management. Now, 220 is an offshoot of GRM. Uh, They're certainly not the same company, but the 
the people who are in management at uh, 220 came from GRM and also are heavyweight in the financial investment industry. And and um, apparently they're uh, cherry-picking in certain markets uh, to what they have. But they don't have the same kind of presence that an Access or Cornerstone does or even GRM, but they're slowly and surely sort of taking little ones. To me, the difference with them that I see is that they're they're doing that, but they're leaving the companies named the same way as opposed to, say, what Access and Cornerstone are doing, them making them Access companies or Cornerstone companies. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's part of the uh, strategy, uh, whether to have it part of a single identity or whether to just have it as it was before. And that's a competitive issue. A lot of times people want to do business with the local company rather than the big boys. So by keeping the local name and management, a lot of times they'll be more adept at keeping the business that they had. Right. Uh, BRM in Pittsburgh is another one. They've, they've had several acquisitions over the last couple of years. Um, archive Systems in New Jersey, uh, I've had a long-time relationship with the management there, and Archive Systems um, is very careful about who they buy, and they don't want to just, um, you know, although they have private equity, they have two private equity companies that are funding they're purchasing, they don't just go out and buy anybody. They, they're very selective about the markets and how they, uh, they use them. Uh, I think most people know uh, Oasis Group because of Dennis Barnett, who was one of the founders of Access. Well, Dennis is now in Europe living in Dublin, and is the Oasis Group is buying companies, particularly in uh, Ireland and the UK. Right. So, uh, you know, where that's going to go is hard to tell. He's still connected, of course, with Access, I presume, in some way, but uh, it seems to be a separate operation in Europe. Yeah, and then then I think we've also seen in what you're calling smaller, less active buyers in the European market. I've announced here on the show numerous times. Uh, there's other acquirers uh, along the lines of Oasis um, that are acquiring and building a a bigger base in the UK as well. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, although we hear less about it, there are aggregators in the old uh, Russian. Uh, I should say the OUSSR, who have uh, multiple locations in the uh, Soviet countries. And those are pretty active, although they're not as big because the market hasn't grown uh, in Eastern Europe to the size it is here, but they're preparing for large growth. And uh, China, of course, uh, with GRM being in China, I don't know what their direct connection is to China, but I have had uh, a couple of customers in China who have the money to go to every major city in China and develop record centers. They're not buying, they're doing startups and uh, acquiring business based on their own uh, capability. So, you know, I mean, I don't keep track of China too much, but I know that it's happening there as well. Yeah. Now, so there's a lot of these aggregators, yeah. and, and frankly, I could go on with a list of about 10 others that are smaller. And it's true to say that if you're a 
big company in a big market but not considered an aggregator, there are certainly these that buy smaller companies in their own market. Mm-hmm. But some of them are, you know, just absolutely focused on a market, let's say like Southern California. Right. Uh, and staying in that market. And I just, uh, you know, there's uh, interesting ways that they're approaching it. Yeah. Okay. And then there's another type of these that uh, I guess you could call them all aggregators, but they're different. And that is, I think the one that makes the uh, biggest noise is CentOS. And CentOS is a public company. And if you go online, you can see, you know, their stock reports, their earnings and all that. And of course, they have certain strategies that they're working with. And they have a division called CentOS Records Management, uh, which is both document destruction and storage. And if you look, you know, if anybody wants to do this, it's kind of fun. Just do a Google search on who owns and the name of the company. So if you if you put in who owns CentOS, hmm. you'll see that the top five or six, maybe even ten, owners are uh, private equity. Uh, CentOS is heavily owned by First Eagle Investment, Vanguard, and State Street Corporation. Hmm. Are they private equity companies? Well, yeah, but they also do mutual funds and other stuff. And, I mean, you know, when you look at the, the number of shares that they own, it's very, very top-heavy towards these types of companies. Right. Okay, so we have the mature and private companies like Iron Mountain, Recall, and Crown, which have been around as long, long as time. I've been in the yeah. industry. Yeah. Iron Mountain is an interesting company, not only because of the size, but also because of... Um, the interest that private equity has had in them over the last couple of years. About a year and a half ago, there was a, a, a private equity company took a major stake in Iron Mountain and wound up having seats on the board. And according to the Who Owns Iron Mountain, 86.4% of Iron Mountain stock is owned by either private equity or institutional investors. Hmm. Now, that's all public information, so 86.4 means that 13.6% is owned by people like us. I have a share, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that's just to get the yeah. information. Right. But um, so uh, Iron Mountain has bought a lot of companies yeah, over, uh, the over the years, but they're back because they've refocused their uh, interest on storage for maybe a 10-year path before last year. They were focused on growing the business uh, to a broader base, particularly into digital and cloud storage type capabilities. But when private equity stepped in, they uh, made a push to move them back to their core business of storage. Right. So... Why is that? Why is it that they're moving back to something that seems like it might not be as long a term as, uh, you know, digital? Everybody says uh, we're supposed to be all digital, but that's obviously not true. So um, they continue to buy companies. I saw one yesterday, um, and 
I think when I spoke to a couple of people yesterday, they said it was actually uh, before the end of the year, but it doesn't matter. They're, they're continuously buying new markets and new right. components yeah. in markets. Okay, so uh, recall is a horse of another color because recall is owned by Bramble. <laughs> right. And, and Bramble's, I mean, is a, a big company in Australia. And according to the news releases over the last year, uh, recall has been for sale. They, they wanted, according to the news articles, about a billion dollars for recall. And at that price, they didn't have any takers. The news that I get is that recall is still on the market yeah. and that if they get the right deal, uh, Brambles will sell them. Now, it's not because Brambles doesn't like them. It's because Brambles has a huge debt that it has to satisfy, and a billion dollars would go far to help recall uh, to help Brambles uh, recover. And what's, what's interesting to me as you're saying that is the people who were lined up to potentially purchase recall at least the last round all were large private equity companies, which to me is quite interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so, I mean, you've gone through this list. You know, we know that this is all true um, and it's all very public knowledge, but something about this round of acquisitions keeps sort of rolling in private equity. So, how is it different than the acquisition that were happening, say, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? This is different, and you said it felt different. So, what is different? Well, this, uh, this round is uh, different. I guess you could say the round started 10 years ago, but really proceeded five years ago, maybe three years ago. It really is in high gear. Right. And uh, I think there's been a, a push by private equity to enter the industry, and it's pretty clear why. Records and information management, particularly commercial record storage, is an annuity business, meaning that the way you make money is not on margins, but is on a long-term annuity revenue because of the nature of the contract. Yeah. So they want the long-term revenue. That's what they want. And uh, it's the, the nature of internal growth from existing accounts and, and long-term self-renewing contracts is what has drawn them to the industry. But it's also the high profit margins too, isn't it? I mean, this industry has typically produced an averages in the, you know, the 30, 40% uh, EBITDA range. Yeah, that's correct. Now, uh, having a little knowledge about private equity, uh, having a son with a private equity company, I've talked to him about that and uh, he said, that's not the most important thing. The uh, Hmm. profitability is obviously important, right? but this long-term flow of cash that just draws off from these companies. Most, I'm not aware of any commercial record centers that have significantly lost volume, particularly at the higher end of the business. The volume of records is increasing, even though digital records are expanding hugely, so that there doesn't seem to be an end yet of the storage revenue. Now, for the last couple of years, they had some uh, pretty heavy purging done in our industry 
which is a shove towards less paper and storage, but it's still bigger. And so when you look at the cash flow from storage, you know, think about the cost of storage after you have a facility and you've depreciated your racks. And if you have dense storage at 30 feet or 40 feet tall, uh, the, the revenue per cubic foot of storage is huge, right, right. is huge, and most of them aren't being touched. Most of them are just sitting there, and they're still over 10 years in storage on average for most records boxes, and that's because people don't know what to do with them. Yeah. So it's a continuous flow, even though digital seems to be moving. I'd like to say something about private equity and how it works. Is is that appropriate? Yeah, let, let's just keep going though, because we're we're smoking through time here. So, um, yeah. All right. Tell me your because I know your son's involved in private equity. He, he runs a a large private equity firm. So I I think you have a a perspective on that that might be helpful. But uh, yeah, yeah, we we got to keep smoking. So. Okay, no problem. I'll smoke through. But you know, I mean, private equity companies are designed to have a very uh, specific focus. Yeah. They'll have a fund or one or two funds, and each uh, or three or four funds, depending, and each one of them has a specific document that defines what they'll do. Now, the investors are usually public, uh, private trusts or uh, pension trusts or mm-hmm. people like that. So right. they're the very high-end institutional investors. And each one of them gives a certain percentage of the fund to the private equity company to invest. And it's common for a private equity company to go out and buy companies. So once they buy a company, they have uh, a high motivation to create a much more profitable company. The way they do that is they infuse capital when necessary. They combine other businesses with the prime company to make it more sound and more whole that's why they keep buying pieces of more right. pieces of it, and then uh, usually within five years they want to turn that company because the funds are usually set up as a five-year fund. It can go beyond five years, and a lot of times they'll they'll uh, there's some terms that I've uh, learned in the industry, but you can have. Like I think they call it a dead man walking, which means that the fund is fully funded and it's playing out, and it's playing out over a let's a ten year period, okay. and they're just basically collecting the cash from the company. So, but generally speaking, the big hit is a sale. Now, the sale is usually a sale to another entity. It could be another private equity company. It could be a larger investor. Uh, it could be anybody, uh, and it also could be an initial uh, IPO. Uh, they could go public, and uh, that's happened a number of times. Uh, Iron Mountain obviously became public, but right. I think you'll see that happen. So uh, in the private equity company is a 20% investor usually in the fund, so they take a huge profit out of whatever they do, and they also uh, get management fees of about 2% on an annual basis, which is primarily used to make sure they have the right people in place and the right systems in place. And, hmm. and they spend a lot of money improving these companies. They are not like Pretty Woman, take over a company and kill it. They are companies that are primary designed to 
to grow a company and to make it more valuable. I know in the case of some of these, they, they double and triple and, and quadruple the value in just a couple of years. Okay, so let, let's look at an example. So, you know, this is just from observation, but Summit comes in and, and acquires uh, through private equity access. And, and that money then, that happened, it seems to me, about a year ago. That money that Summit has invested then then gets connected, say, to the Retrievex money, which I think was Wells Carson Stowe money. And I, they're a private equity company. Uh, that comes together and there's this bigger thing. And the connection in all that is that the funds, the private equity funds, have potentially a five-year thought process around them or goal around them so they put those together and then they acquire a whole bunch of other companies because the the value of that company increases because of the shared services more systematic ways of doing things larger footprint uh, but they're growing this through acquisition um, and and yet driving that is the equity part of it which is a five-year term uh, that you've just talked about so could you speculate on within that environment? So private equity is growing this. They're they're fueling money, but they've got goals, which is to make money. That's their whole point. So how, how does that af start affecting this industry? Because I think ultimately it's not that we don't understand and see private equity involved. It's what's what's happening to the industry as a result of this private equity uh, process that's happening now or this acquisition thing that's going on. What What do you see as sort of the inherent risk in that um, ultimately the private equity companies are going to make their money that's that's not an issue but but tell me a little bit about your perspective on that well yeah there's several things Tom uh, a very astute observation by the way uh, first of all uh, private equity is in this for only one reason and that is uh, return on their investment right. I, you know I hate to say it I'm a capitalist so I believe in that right all right, so if that's the case, when you grow the business like this, uh, you're going to focus on getting money out of the company. You either do that by selling the company or by uh, improving the profit margins. And how do you improve the profit margins? Typically, it's usually to reduce headcount or to uh, do something that dramatically reduces expenses. And... Some of that falls on the pair view of customer service. Um, I, you know, uh, you you can he if you read all of the uh, mission statements on all these companies, they all are high ethics and high moral tones to them about doing the right, right. thing for the customer. But the fact is that it may not be true. Uh, I think the big loser in this movement to private equity is the customer, the right. end customer, right. because they will eventually see less services and less um, uh, of what they really need. Now, what do they really need? They need records management. They don't need record storage. They need records management. And, you know, when I look at the model that Iron Mountain has set out there to be the educator of the industry, and to provide um, their customers with tools to actually become better, I see a much better model than I do uh, by the pure private equity companies who are just buying and buying and buying, and nobody knows how that's going to work out in the future. 
you know, so I think the customers are the ones that will suffer. We're in an industry that's on the downside of the of the growth curve. There's right. no question right. about it. But how long will it take? The other thing is that I don't know exactly when and how this takes place, but at some point the growth ends. Hmm. And then when it ends, it doesn't go away. It stays there and dribbles out because the boxes will roll out of storage over a 10 or 15 year period of time. And so the investment then is, you know, has already been put into it. And the cash flow that's taken out, disseminated to the owners, the private equity companies and their participants, it's kind of like deflating the whole industry with this. Now, it's inevitable that's going to happen. So the way they're doing it from a financial point of view makes a lot of sense. But again, who who wins in this deal? Right. So ultimately, as the aggregators or the private equity firms who are behind some of these buy more and more of the what I would consider the small to mid-size uh, local record centers who have had sort of some long-term stability, which are typically highly customer-focused, highly uh, even, you know, use the consulting role. And those become rolled into the, the aggregators. The aggregators, in turn, if you look at the makeup of them, are driven by private equity. And if you understand that private equity's goal is to roll out of this, extract as much money as possible and roll out of it, uh, there, that to me indicates if you're a client of a company that was purchased by an aggregator, at some point in the future, you're going to be purchased again or you're going to roll somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's only a crystal ball. That's only our, our sense of it, but yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, based on what we see, that's right. the sense of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have a customer that I had dinner with last week. He happened to be in New Orleans for fun. And he said that uh, he would never have a record center anymore unless he had an imaging business to go with it. And the reason for that is it's harder and harder to sell the storage. Yeah. And that's why even the smaller record centers buy books of business out of the biggest, bigger record centers because when you do the formulas and the math, it always makes sense right. uh, over a contract term to buy business out of another one. And what they're doing is just kind of uh, the big fish eating the little fish eating the little littler fish. But those people in our industry who are moving towards a more digital business can still have a major role in the general records and information management business, and they will continue to get storage for 10, 15 years or whatever it happens to be, but they're wedging these other services in so that they can uh, have a long-term business strategy. By the way, imaging is a short-term strategy as well, because even 20 years ago when I started thinking about this stuff, um, becoming totally digital, meaning creating, use, managing, archiving, and destroying records digitally is the goal. Never having paper is the goal. Right. That's what you hear on the uh, on the blogs all the time. You hear that all the time. And the fact is that, you know, what are you going to do? It's it's not uh, uh, it's not happening the way people expected it to for many reasons. And over time, it's going to uh, play out. But 
you know, we don't know exactly how. Yeah. So in this world of high acquisition of equity-based uh, investment, which is driving acquisition, are there still opportunities for those who choose not to sell, do you, do you believe? Yeah, I do. I, I think that, as a matter of fact, I really think that's a, a pretty cool, to use your term, uh, idea these days of having a boutique record center. Mm-hmm. And if I were in a city where these aggregators are clustering, I would be different. I would become a company that provides unique services in a, in a way that's high value to the customer. Now, I mean, I have a definition for this, and basically it's providing anything they need in records and information management. Uh, And uh, I have one customer that uses the term concierge services, Hmm. which means that, you know, if you need something, you pick up the phone, you call the concierge, and you say, I need, and the concierge gets it for you, Hmm. whatever it is. And so... You don't have to worry about anything in records and information management because we'll get it for you. We'll provide it. So this is for small to medium-sized businesses. The big businesses don't need this kind of service, but the the small and medium-sized businesses do. And the interesting thing is that record storage, when done by to small businesses, is most of the time two, three, or four times more profitable per unit of storage, and that's because of packaged pricing. And even though it's less expensive to the customer, it's more profitable to the record center. So you could have a record center, let's say, with 100,000 boxes, which could be as profitable as a a half a million box facility is in the traditional model. So, yeah, I think it's definitely there. You have to have a lot of services that are connected. Yeah, and and I think that also means there's still room for startups, but I, I I suspect that startups in the industry are getting harder because of the downward trend, especially in the in the box storage, which is where I think the aggregators and private equity like what's going on. But it, yeah. it seems to me there's still opportunity. People are still coming into the industry and trying to grab a piece of it because of the nature of the beast. Yeah, if you want to be a startup these days, you have to have two things. One is a lot of money, and two is a really good plan. And it's not like get a warehouse and they will come. And literally in 1984, when I started my record center, that's pretty much what it was. And we were selling storage. I mean, there's no question. Richard Reese, years ago at a PRISM conference, said that directly from the podium. You know, he said, we go into New York and Boston, and we were taking boxes out so that we could give them back space. And he said, we're selling storage. But today it's not true. Right. Yeah. Well, so if you had a crystal ball, and I realize we've talked a lot about a lot of stuff here, but if you had a crystal ball, and in the last couple of minutes of our conversation, what do you think the industry looks like five, ten years from now? Well, I tell you, I wish I had the crystal ball (laughs) actively working. well, first of all, you know, the aggregators are going to run their course. Uh, who's going to be the buyers on the other end is still unknown. Obviously, people with more money or more aggregation. And um, the industry is going to change dramatically as companies get more used to how to manage their business documents 
digitally. Hmm. I was telling someone the other day that, you know, if you look at the news and you see all of the things that are popping up in the news, it's all about records management as risk management. So, you know, the form that records management is, rather than storage, is managing your risks. Hmm. So the records become the proof sources to both litigation and regulatory compliance. And that's absolutely the agenda today. So, you know, you have to, who knows what the services will be, but they're not going to be the same. That's for sure. You better be light on your feet. Yeah. Well, Carrie, as always, I appreciate your research, your opinions on it, and uh, taking the time to, to share them with us today because I think sometimes it's, you know, we watch what's going on, we observe it, but we don't stand back sometimes and, and try and get a handle on what's actually happening. And it's it's a very interesting time, and I appreciate the perspective. Uh, I especially appreciate the, the sort of in-depth look at this private equity piece of it, which seems to me to be a driving force in what's going on. And I, I'm grateful. I hope everyone who's listened today uh, really gets a, a better understanding of, of what what is happening in the industry and the connection to it. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. And hi to all my friends out there. And I am retired. (laughs) All right. Well, enjoy retirement. Enjoy Manhattan Beach. And we'll catch up soon. Thanks again, Gary. All right. You're welcome. Well, there you go. Thanks for joining us on the show this week. That conversation went longer than expected, but it was quite informative. Special thanks to Kerry McGovern for sharing his knowledge with us. If you are doing something interesting in your business, if you're discovering unique and cool stuff about the world we live in, please let me know. I'd love to have you on the show. I want to remind you that this show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I appreciate their ongoing support of the show. O'Neill has this really cool option called Six Appeal, unlimited users, unlimited web users, classroom training, technical support, unlimited networking, and no upfront software costs. That sounds pretty appealing to me. And if it does to you, you can check it out for yourself at O'NeillSoft. That's all for now. We'll be back next week with another great interview. That's it. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.